Today on Growing Through Grace. Conscience is interesting because in some ways it is that inherent kind of understanding placed in the heart of every man to to know right from wrong. Conscience is that internal clock that says, this is right, that's wrong. You're listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elam of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. Paul before the Sanhedrin. What it must have been like for the apostle to stand being judged by the same governing body that he once was a part of. Well, this account is found in Acts chapter 23, and Pastor Jack will examine for us Paul's response and strategy as he faced his accusers. We'll see the Lord's hand of protection on his servant, And we can take great comfort in knowing that God is watching over us as well. Well, Let's join our teacher for today's lesson. Here's Pastor Jack. All right, let's open our Bibles tonight to uh, Acts chapter 23. We read in verse 1 that Paul, then looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. He looked around earnestly. He sized up the room. He was probably swollen in the face. I mean, these guys had been clobbering him pretty good. He looks out at men with whom he at one time used to sit on the very court. He was a part of this Sanhedrin. Now he was viewed by the insiders as a traitor, as someone they wanted to silence, someone they planned to kill. And I'm sure that in Paul's mind, the prophecies from the road must have been ringing in his ear. Oh man, they're being verified, all right? This has not been easy. He calls them men and brethren. (laughs) The word brethren or brothers is very familiar or familial in the sense that, you know, that's not the way you would formally address this court. It would be be fathers or, or honorable rulers. But Paul felt familiar enough with these folks and he cared for them that he really wanted to speak to them. And so he, he, you know, with all the things they've tried to do to him the last couple of days, he speaks to them in very kind tones. And he begins by saying, I have lived in, in good conscience before God until this day. That's quite a statement. Have you done that? Not violated your conscience before God? That's an amazing statement to make, isn't it? But I read somewhere one time that someone said, if you really want to have a clear conscience, you really need to have a really bad memory. And I thought, well, that's probably closer to the truth. But yet, as a Christian, and, and when we start Second Corinthians here on Sunday mornings in a couple of weeks, we're going to spend a whole morning talking about conscience. It's, it's a great subject in the Bible. But we can kind of brush a, a, across it this, this evening. Paul's salvation had radically changed him from the inside out. We, we know that when the Lord saved Paul, one of the things the Lord said to Paul was, it's been hard for you to kick against the pricks of your conscience, really, the work of God's Spirit. Paul's conscience was troubled, though he outwardly looked like maybe he was doing the right religious thing, everyone applauded him. Deep down inside, Paul knew better. When the Lord saved Paul, even as you and I, when we are saved, 
God, by his promise, cleans our slate. Things are made new. Paul will write to Timothy years from now, I was a former blasphemer and a prosecutor and a very insolent man, but I obtained mercy from the Lord because I was doing those things in unbelief. And so Paul came to a place of salvation that really made his conscience new again, right? Not conforming to this present world, he was being changed and delivered from his own way, his old ways. <clears throat> and he really had peace about not only the life that he was living, but also the fact in this context that he had been called by the Lord to preach to the Gentiles the gospel. This isn't violating the, my conscience or the will of God nor the word of God. This is something that God wanted. But a conscience is interesting because in, in some ways it is, it is that inherent kind of understanding placed in the heart of every man to, to know right from wrong. The basic tenets. Now you can, you know, conscience only extend to what you know is the best. And not everyone knows the best. And so people can have a clear conscience when they should not, maybe not have one at all. But, but by and large, as it starts, conscience is that internal clock that says, this is right, that's wrong. Well, when Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 2, and he talked to them about the Gentiles, he said, look, if the Gentiles who don't have the law do the things by nature that the law requires, then they are a law unto themselves. And he talked about their conscience permitting or, or absolving or excusing or condemning. So the, the, there's that basic you know, built-in kind of Geiger counter, if you will. It kind of goes off when things are going in the wrong direction. And, and God has a way of, of keeping you right with him. And Paul says to these men, who are the religious rulers and, and you know, the, the sin sniffers and the opinionated folks, look, in my heart before God, I'm at peace. Now, we know that your conscience can be... Can be seared as we read in the Bible. Sin can dull your response so that it's almost as if it is dead and the, the convictions that one bothered you don't bother you anymore. But yet when God's word gets in, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart so that your conscience becomes good. That's what Paul wrote. So Paul was, being a, man, was a man that was being freed from the guilt of sin by the grace of God. We started by saying this is really a chapter that talks about how God looks at us in grace, God's view of, of his own through the, the eyes of grace. So the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life had convicted him, his conscience had functioned properly, and as a result, Paul was able to say, my conscience is clear. And I, I think that's, he didn't say he's sinless. None of us could say that, but, but I think there's something to be said for for the goal of your life being a, clean, a clear conscience before God. I'm doing my best, I'm putting your word first, and I think that it is possible biblically to have a, a, a good conscience, a clear conscience uh, before the Lord. And Paul really felt like he hadn't violated the spirit of the intent of the law by preaching Jesus to the Gentiles. Well, just that declaration, I mean, that's one sentence. I've got a clear conscience, brothers, <laughs> before the Lord. We read in verse 2 that the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. That's no way to treat a guy, is it? And Paul said to him, 
God will strike you, you whited sepulcher, or, or wall, if you will. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and you do command me to be struck contrary to the law? Ananias was one of the most wicked priests that the nation had ever seen. Historically, he, he served in that capacity from 52 to 59 A.D., he eventually was killed by his own countrymen for his pro-Roman positions, if that makes any sense. He was a zillionaire because he used the offerings at the temple kind of as a mafia type, running the money-changing businesses, rotten to the core. If a guy has no conscience, this might be the guy. And he slaps Paul for having one, or orders that he be slapped. Notice that Paul's response is in anger. Loses his cool. Doesn't turn the other cheek. Hairs and tears into this guy. Well, God will smite you, you whitewalled wall, or whitewashed wall. The, re the, the, the reference to whitewashing at, at most all of the uh, celebrations in Israel during that time, when the crowds by the thousands would come, they would paint gravestones white so that you wouldn't accidentally touch it and become ceremonially unclean. The reference is it looked good on the surface, but underneath nothing more dead men's bones. Right? But you're all dressed up <laughs> with no place to go kind of thing. So Paul kind of doesn't take it very well. Right? He's got a clear conscience in verse 1, but in <laughs> verse 3 he lets it fly. And he says why. Here's his anger. He's angry at the phone that's ringing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> happens to everyone. At the hypocrisy of a man who would sit in judgment against him, while Paul said, hitting me, I've not been tried, I haven't been punished, I haven't been found guilty, there's no due process, you can't be punishing me. And he quotes out of Deuteronomy 25, which basically said, you can't do any of that. So here's the high priest, you know, the guy that's representing the Lord in, in, in that kind of a way, stepping over his bonds. If you compare this to John, I think, chapter 18, you might remember that Jesus was taken here as well, right? He was brought here, and the high priest asked him about the disciples, about his doctrine. Jesus said that he'd spoken openly to the world and had taught in the synagogues and in the temple, and that he hadn't said anything in secret. Why are you asking me? Ask these people. I've been telling them for a long time who I am and why I've come. And, and, and the, the, high, the officer that stood by Jesus slapped him in the face. Do you remember that? And he said, why do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus said, if I've spoken evil, then tell me what it is. And if not, explain why you just hit me. A little different tone, certainly. Paul's a good example. Jesus is always the best example for us. But needless to say, um, the question becomes, what in the world does Paul do here, and, and, and what do we see? Because we're supposed to learn from the narrative. Notice that we read in verse 4, those who were standing by said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul's answer is, I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And he quotes out of Exodus chapter 22. So here's my question for you. Hopefully you're reading ahead before you show up on Wednesdays. What's going on here? Was it an oversight? 
In other words, this meeting was called kind of in the morning. First thing, everyone was summoned by, by you know, the ruler, if you will, from the army. Uh, the captain wanted a meeting. The high priest maybe wasn't wearing his robes. Paul didn't recognize him. And because he didn't, he doesn't honor the position because he doesn't see it. Is, the, is it an oversight? Maybe it is out of sight. <laughs> Paul wasn't in Jerusalem very long or very often. So he might very well not have known this guy at all or had any relationship with him at all. Or maybe it was his eyesight. It would, it would be a good, reasonable argument in the Bible to say that Paul's thorn in the flesh was probably his inability to see very well. He, he writes in 1 Corinthians 16 at the end, I've written the salutation with my own hand, kind of like, that was very odd because he usually couldn't do that. He, he wrote the same thing in, in Galatians chapter 6, see with which large letters I've written to you with my own hands. So Paul probably had an issue so whether it was oversight or out of sight or his eyesight, or maybe he had clear sight. Maybe Paul just wanted to be sarcastic. Maybe he wanted to say, well, I don't think a high priest should act like that. No wonder I didn't recognize you. I have no idea. I've read every book I know. None of them are convincing. So I'll just leave it with you. Good luck with that. But I do see in verse 5 that Paul apologizes. I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest. So that'll eliminate uh, oversight. Well, not oversight. It should, it should eliminate maybe everything but clear sight. <laughs> Paul probably wasn't being sarcastic, uh, although I would have appreciated if he had been. So when Paul was told who he spoke to in that manner or, or who gave the order, Paul quotes the scriptures and says, I know from my Bible that God doesn't want me to speak evil of a ruler over us. Even a guy as wicked as this guy. So maybe you can remember that the next time you want to talk about our, our politicians. In emotion and in your frustration, you can certainly sin against God with your mouth by speaking about others. You might want to go read Romans 13 where it talks about that for conscience' sake we should submit ourselves to all governing authorities because God puts them in a place of power. Ultimately, the big picture is when you stand back is God decides who will rule over us or not. You can make a pretty good argument biblically for the fact that if the people seek God, they get good leaders. There are, there are no places, almost no places in the Bible, where a, a nation that cries out to the, God, to the Lord gets a horrible leader. It is usually the result of horrible people or do horrible things. And the Lord goes, well, you can have what you want. You know, you reap what you sow, and it's horrible. So we, even as the church today, we may, you know, complain and, and moan about the leadership that we have, the, the way that people behave themselves. And, and, and let's face it, the things they do are, are atrocious most of the time. However, God may very well be giving to us what we deserve. And we need to be crying out for what he, for his grace. So it's hard to make the argument beyond just God's in charge. So we seek the Lord. If you really want to change the government, here's the best thing to do. Go lead people to Christ. Because if enough people start walking with Jesus, you'll, you'll get what you find in other situations where the people predominantly were seeking God. And it doesn't require a majority. You'll never find that. But it requires a significant amount of, of crying out from the church and God could bless. 
So I don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure what, what happens here. Paul was sorry that he did it. He, he said he wouldn't do it. He didn't speak evil of, you know, he said, I, I know that the Bible says I shouldn't speak evil of a ruler of the people, even an evil ruler. Like, there was nobody as rotten as this guy. And yet he's still qualified to be respected. Maybe you look at David's relationship with Saul. You know, here's a guy that David only served, and Saul turned on him. Here's a guy that God pulled out of leadership and said, you're not going to continue. And yet he held on to power by force for seven and a half years beyond that. David honored the, the office, but he also honored the individual. He never spoke evil of, Paul, uh, of, of Saul. He just kind of left, left it alone. By the time that you get to 1 Peter chapter 2, pa Peter will write, you should honor all people, you should love the brotherhood, and you should fear God and honor the king. Now that was written at a time when the king was Nero, who burned Christians as lighters for his walkways at his palace. The, the guy couldn't have been a, a more heinous guy in the world. And the Lord said, honor the king. So that doesn't mean you shouldn't you know, be involved. And I've always been, believed biblically that the church should be political in the sense of individual participation. You should vote. You should pray about who you vote for. I will never get in this pulpit and tell you who to vote for because the minute I do, that'll be the guy that'll go south really fast. And we'll all look like idiots. But you should be responsible to the Lord, get involved, whatever it is that God gives you to do. But the answer isn't politics, it's Christ. So, you know, when Jeremiah was sent by the Lord to the captive people, they were in Babylon, they were going to be there for 70 years. The Lord, through the prophet, said to the captive people that were under the gun politically from the Babylonians, just build your houses and dwell in them, plant your gardens, eat the fruit, take wives, have children, and, 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 and increase in the land so that you don't diminish, and seek the peace of the city that, in which you're being held captive. Bless the city and pray to the Lord for the city because if... if if they have peace, you have peace. So there was that relationship of, you know, a captive godly people in the or a captive people that belong to God in the midst of the heathen. And, and, the, and the suggestion is pray and be involved and serve and play a part. So I, I, I'm all for you, you know, being involved politically. I just, just can't see it having a place in the pulpit. And so if that's what you're looking for, you won't, you won't find it here. Verse 6 tells us, when Paul then perceived that one part of this group were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee and I'm the son of a Pharisee. That's, you want to know what his father was? His father was a religious man. Concerning the hope and, and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Now, as Paul looked out over this body that he was well familiar with, he realized that the deck was stacked against him. He perceived the division of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. Imagine being a religious leader in a religious country where you don't believe in God. No angels, no heaven, no hell. When you die, that's it, you're over with. And then you have the other part of the grueling body who believe in all of those things. Now, their, their concept of God were very wrong, 
but they believed in a God. They believed in life after death. They believed in the resurrection. So those were the two divisions. And Paul was pretty smart. He looked around and said, well, <laughs> here's one way I can win. I can take sides with at least half of them. So he took the side of the things that he would believe in. I believe in the resurrection and faith. And, and, and I think God gave to Paul divine wisdom right on the spot. <laughs> Paul was looking kind of for a way out. The Lord had promised in Matthew 10 that in the very hour that you need to be wise, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. You don't even need to know how to work it out. And I think it's a pretty good example of that. Paul looked at him and went, oh, lots of Pharisees. Wore different robes. <laughs> played for different teams. And so Luke in verse 8 describes them. He says in verse 7 first, and when he had said this, a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees arose. The the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there's no resurrection, no angels, no spirits, but the Pharisees, they confess both. And so there was a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, and they said, we don't find any evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose such a great dissension, the commander, again fearing lest Paul might be torn to pieces by them, commanded the searchers to go down and take him back force again and bring him back into the barracks. I doubt Paul intended to sat another riot. This would be the riot number three in two days. But there really is no greater strife that you'll find in the world than, than when you begin to mix politics with religion. You can find that in every country on the planet. Right? And, and I want you to notice something. These guys were all bound to, to destroy Paul and the message of the gospel until he sided with them politically or even religiously to some extent. And now he's all of a sudden a friend of the Pharisees. Isn't that interesting? You know, when, when, when it's time to vote, all of a sudden you get a lot of politicians that love you for praying. They want to have prayer times and prayer meetings and prayer breakfast with the mayor. It doesn't happen until there's, you know, some stuff to be done. But, but you, you see it here as well, right? There, there's this dragging, you know, him into their fold, so to speak. So can you imagine being a religious leader in Israel and not being convinced that there, a God even exists? Well, this caused great discernment. E- even amongst the people, I mean, upheaval. They started to fight with each other. And it was so bad that, that the, the commander thought he better get Paul out of there before he gets killed. And so Claudius Lysias is his name. We, we read about him in verse, I think, 16 maybe. He said, go get Paul before he gets hurt. And so they went down and got him. And again, he doesn't want this to spill over and anybody in Rome to hear about. I suspect, look, looking at the, uh, the narrative, that Paul went back to that barracks just crushed. <laughs> he had come here with, with money in hand and a heart to help. He had preached with all that he had. He had given it his best shot. He had compromised with James. He had spent his own dollars and cents to support you know, these four men, just to try to bridge the gap. He had, he had spoken from the steps of the Antonio Fortress. People had gone nuts. He, he had met again with the folks face to face. It had absolutely gone nowhere for him at all. It all seemed to end in a miserable failure. And, and his lifelong dream, fueled by his persuasion that no one would be better at it than him to reach the nation of Israel, 
comes crashing down around his ears. And with that thought, we'll stop there for today and pick up the balance of Acts chapter 23 the next time we're together. This has been the first half of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelin. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3083. And when you get a hold of us, be sure to mention the call letters of the radio station that you're listening to. The same challenges that seek to hinder the church today were common in the Corinthian church back in Paul's day. In his letters to the Corinthians, he addressed such issues as politics, immorality, lawsuits, marriage, worldliness, and spiritual gifts, just to name a few. In working through these timely books, Pastor Jack analyzes Paul's biblical answers to each of these problems in light of today's church. And we're offering Pastor Jack studies through both the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians from our Know the Book series on MP3. They're available in either CD or USB format. So if you'd like to order the 1st and 2nd Corinthians MP3 or to get today's study, simply dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all kinds of other things available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. And that'll bring things to a close for today. We do appreciate you tuning in. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Going Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, the Calvary Chapel Outreach.